Hey there, we're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. The guys here getting ready for the show behind me while they're doing that. Here's what's coming up next. It's looking just downright bad for Tesla shareholders. The stock falling into a bear market. And if you think this trade is going to get even uglier, Mike Coe will tell you how to profit from the wild ride. Plus, there's one semiconductor stock that's surging this year. And Dan Nathan says if history is any indication, this stock is about to go parabolic. He'll tell you how to get in on the run for less. And it's party time for tech stocks, as the Nasdaq just locked in an historic winning streak. But if you missed all the fun, don't worry. The Chartmaster will tell you how to catch the rally. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And we start off with the party in tech after the Nasdaq's epic winning streak. But check out the FANG trade in the past month. Amazon, Netflix, Google all rallying while Facebook has been standing in the corner during all the fun down 2%. The chart master, though, says the beaten down social stock is about to play catch up. Let's get over to Carter, very casually dressed Carter Worth over at the Plasma. Hey, Carter. Hi there. Yeah, I didn't go to work today, uh, so it's no day. Um, yes, Facebook. I think there's an opportunity just as a catch-up trade. We know that it has lagged, and it also was one of the most punished from its peak. The first uh, slide here shows some of that. Obviously, from the peak uh, in September, October of 18 to the lows, the Christmas Eve lows, and then back, uh, what we've got is Microsoft, Google, Amazon. You see the numbers. Apple, Facebook, and Netflix, of course, really the ones that were destroyed. So Facebook... I want to zero in on that because it has lagged, and I think there's an opportunity uh, at this point. So a very simple chart. It's only about eight months. I would just point out that this low right here is the Christmas low. So if you zero in on that, what we know is that the stock makes a new low. It undercuts its October low. But that is not the case on a relative basis, which is to say that as it was selling off, it was actually outperforming the S&P. And that sets up what has been since not only an absolute winner, but a relative winner. And I think that's part of the opportunity. The chart itself, many ways to draw the line. We're going to focus on this gap of heavy volume thrust because I think we're going to get another one. But one way I think you can draw the lines is as follows. You've got something of a head and shoulders bottom. You have this well-defined top. And of course, you get that massive breakout. And then this flag, another way to draw the lines just that, this pennant, this flag, this symmetrical triangle. And what I'm thinking is that you have this initial heavy volume thrust and you're going to get a second one all coming from the point at which it broke out and we do it again. One more, where might we go? So I put those same lines in. Let's just do it. We put in our head and shoulders bottom. We put in our flag. Here it comes again. And if and as, this premise is right. I think we're going to thrust like that and thrust like that. The reciprocal is what we did on the way down. After gapping down, we had this very well-defined triangle. And what happened? We did it again. We got the reciprocal going on here. I want to play for a meaningful bump higher, also a catch-up trade. All right, so Mike, what's your take on Facebook? You know, the preceding weakness that we saw on Facebook obviously was very news-driven. They had a lot of negative news. But in that time, the company, of course, has proceeded to get 
cheaper and cheaper. And that's really the issue here. The company is not trading at an expensive multiple. It's still growing. It has a huge moat around its business. You can imagine that it's trading at about 18 times next year's earnings, and they essentially own their entire space. If you were saying, okay, back in the day when television was first coming out and you could essentially own the entire industry, what would the appropriate multiple for that be? This is something that's probably going to generate something like $25 billion in free cash flow in you know 2020. So when I look at something like that, I think targeting the level that you were just looking at, but also trying to minimize my premium outlay. I was looking out to May. You could put on the 150, 165, 175 call spread risk reversal for about even when I was looking at this earlier today. So you would be selling the 150 puts at 385, buying the 165 puts at 770, and then selling the May 175 calls at 385. So net net, you're not putting out any uh, premium to put that trade on. Now that's gonna start kicking in $2 up from where the stock is currently trading. To the downside, you could potentially be forced to buy the stock at 150 bucks, which is a pretty good discount to where the stock is currently trading in case that premise turns out to be uh, you know, the wrong direction on the trade. But here's the other thing. I mean, it, you know, you're going to be owning it at then an even cheaper level or valuation than we're currently seeing. Yeah, so I would think it's really interesting about the setup here is that expectations were very low into this last print and therefore they outperformed and the stock had this big gap. Once again, because the stock's consolidated well above the highs over the last month, I think expectations are still kind of low. And I think what's really important here is we know why earnings are not going to grow in 2019, but sales are expected to grow 23% to almost $70 billion. So when Mike talks about a moat, so here's the thing, as we head into April and say in the next six weeks or so, as we get closer to their earnings, um, this stock may start moving up into that. You may have the trade before that. So the way Mike set up this trade is it's not costing him any premium. As the stock moves closer to that short put strike, he's going to have losses. As it moves into the money, into that call spread, he's going to have gains. But he's got this really good trade structure on at May expiration. If nothing at all happened, he's got no, no crime, no foul. So I really like this setup here because I think expectations will be low again if the stock continues to consolidate into earnings. You know, to your point, actually, if you go through earnings and nothing happens, this trade is actually likely going to make some money. Why is that? It's because options premiums are elevated when you have that catalyst. Once the news comes in, a lot of that premium comes out. And where is it going to come out the most? It's on those wings, the 150 put and the 175 call that you're short. Those will likely decay more than the 165 call you own if the stock lands right here after earnings, which I don't expect. All right. So just uh, to summarize, the principle here that I think is the most in effect is after a major reset in any direction, think about the plunge in August uh, almost a year ago, you consolidate and get a follow-through move to the downside. The reciprocal is prospectively in play here. You have that initial re-rating higher, and we've consolidated, and the presumption is that you're going to get a second re-rating higher. Get long. All right, let's stick with tech. Check out the surge in semi-stocks this year. The SMH ETF that tracks the group is up nearly 20%, despite the trade tensions and global growth fears. And Dan thinks there's one chip stock that could be about to rip even higher, Dan. Yeah, so let's talk about Western Digital here. A lot of old-timers will know this as a disk drive company. About three years ago, they bought SanDisk that makes Dan Flash, and it goes into a lot of devices that you know about. But these guys are also exposed to cloud, mobile. There's a lot of things going on here. This stock was an absolute disaster in 2018 with a peak to trough decline of about 
about 70 percent. But the stock's up 40 percent this year. It's kind of caught a little bit of a bid. I was looking at it earlier in the week because the president of the company was speaking at Morgan Stanley's TMT conference. And while I wasn't expecting a whole heck of a lot, I thought it was going to be really interesting to see how the stock reacted to whatever he had to say. So the talk was yesterday. Look at that. That's the six-day chart. The stock got kind of creamed into the talk, but it actually caught a bit afterwards. I listened to the conversation. There wasn't anything great going on. There was talking about large inventories. It was talking about lack of pricing power. It was talking about really the global economy and waiting for when that pickup's going to be and when they're going to start working down those inventories, when that balance sheet's going to look a little better. All this stuff. It's all second half of this year. But the stock, like I said, has rallied a bit off those lows. It's up 40% on the year. The technical setup is kind of interesting. I have two charts. I'll let Carter speak to him after the fact. But look at this one-year chart. Look at this well-defined downtrend that it had been in. It bottomed out on Christmas. It broke up uh, above that downtrend line. Here's the really important part. It was able to actually get back above 50 um, today, and that was the breakdown level from the fall. So I think that's a really interesting setup. It was able to kind of hang out here for a little bit. And then the five-year chart, I think, is really interesting, too. Look at this massive double bottom that it might have put in. I think a 40% bounce off of that kind of tells you that there's a little bit of a bottom here. But what do we need now? We need a catalyst, right, to kind of propel this thing kind of higher. Sentiment's really bad on it. Analysts hate it. High short interest. They're not going to report earnings until uh, late April, the last week of April. And I think this thing sets up pretty decently for a call spread, because if the news gets incrementally better here and on that earnings um, announcement in late April, this thing's going to act like a coiled spring, in my opinion. So to me, I think you look out to May expiration when the stock was trading at 51.50 today. You could buy the May 50.65 call spread, paying $4 for that, buying one of the May 50 calls for $4.60, selling one of the 65 calls at 60 cents. It breaks even at 54. You can make up to 11 between 54 and 65, and then you lose up to four between 54 and 50, and a full four below 50. Here's the key thing. This stock, uh, this trade is already $1.50 in the money here, so I'm kind of playing from a position of strength. I'm really defining my risk to that $50 level that it just got above here, but I like this. It's not exactly an earnings trade. This is a bit of a momentum trade, and I would maybe even consider taking this off if it was up near 60 prior to earnings uh, in late April. You know, the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look at a situation like this because you're probably thinking to yourself, all right, you know, spending $4 in premium, stock is currently trading, it seems like a lot of money, 8% of the current stock price. Consider how far this stock has moved in over such a relatively short period of time. Up 40% essentially from the lows in a period of time shorter than what you've got from now until the expiration of this trade. Also take a look at how much this stock typically moves around earnings. The answer is quite a lot. We've seen multiple double-digit moves just in the single day following the earnings release. That's the kind of situation where you actually can be justified in spending a little bit more premium than you otherwise might in some of the stocks we more commonly talk about. This thing can really move. So, so Dan has touched on literally the two key things from the technical point of view. It's the current circumstance, which is established downtrend that's starting to stop not only going down, but turn back up. And where is that happening? The former circumstance, a prior low. So the long-term chart, the double bottom, exactly right. But it's why the current stock is bottoming. The current action is very developmental. Couldn't be better. As Carter would say, wow. a bearish to bullish reversal. Right. But here's the most important part of that thing. I was looking at the longer-term charts. It was the price action this week. I listened to that conversation of the president. It didn't sound good. It got hit initially, but it came all the way back, and it got back to that key um, support level. So to me, I think this thing sets up for a bounce in a good market with incrementally better news. For everything Options Action, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. 
While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. More than 100,000 of you already have, so do not miss out. Here's what's coming up next. Tesla shares are taking a turn for the worse. And Mike Coe thinks this could just be the beginning of a total U-turn. He will explain. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. Shares of Tesla getting this, hitting the skids today, falling back into a bear market. As CEO Elon Musk warned the electric vehicle maker will not be profitable in the first quarter. Wall Street reacting in a series of notes out today. Barclay is calling it Tesla's un-iPhone moment. Tony Sakanagi over at Bernstein questioning if the move is an act of genius or just desperation. And Morgan Stanley warning the decision gives bears more material to work with than the bulls. So how should you play the stock now? Mike goes over at the plasma with his call to action. Mike. Sure. So Tesla, obviously a very interesting situation. Elon definitely has the cool factor. And I'm not just talking about him and his company. The Model S proved to be one of the best cars that's ever been made, which was quite an achievement when you consider that there weren't really any electric cars on the market before that thing came out. The bad news, though, is that competition is finally on its way. Audi, Jaguar, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, and notably Porsche are all coming out with electric cars. Those that have been seen so far are looked at very favorable by the automobile press. Finally, and this is an issue for anybody who's trying to build an electric car, but particularly for Tesla because they only build electric cars, electric batteries are exceptionally expensive. Let's take a quick look at what he's saying he can do here, which is sell a car for $35,000 that has a 60 kilowatt hour battery. These batteries are probably in the neighborhood of 7,200 bucks. The General Motors Bolt, which is actually Chevrolet, that also has a battery about that size. They don't make any money on the car. That's okay, though, because it helps them offset the fuel economy issues of their light-duty trucks, on which they do make a lot of money. Look at the VW e-Golf. This is a situation where they are selling a car for about the same amount of money. This is a car that they make millions of anyhow. They're making these things at 35000 and they have a battery that's about half the size, almost. So when I was taking a look at this thing, you can obviously see the volatility that we've seen. It's been fairly range-bound. One of the things that helps the stock bounce like this is the fact that it has an enormously high short interest. But at some point, he's probably going to have to raise capital. And if he does that, that could increase the float. That's certainly one of the things that could put a lid on the stock as well. So the way I think we could take a look at trading this thing, options premiums are exceptionally high. I'm looking out to the April-June 250 calendar put spread. You could sell the April puts at 7 bucks, buy the June puts at 18.25, net net you're spending $11.25. Now, if you hold this until after those April puts expire, obviously you need the stock to be below 250. But actually until that time, this will be most profitable if the stock declines down to that 250 level. That may seem like a big move. It really isn't when you consider that there is some leverage here. This is a very volatile story. There are a number of headwinds. They may need to raise capital. And I think people are starting to have some doubts about whether or not Elon can now talk the stock up. All right, so down to 250, which would basically test its most recent 52-week low. So, uh, Carter, what do you see in the charts here? Well, I mean, that's just it. I mean, this, frankly, if anyone has a chart they're looking at right now at home or you go look at it later, it looks like an EKG chart when you go to the doctor. It just goes up <laughs> and down and up and down the past three years. It has no character, which is to say we're looking for well-defined opportunities like WDC, a bearish to bullish reversal, or something that's about to break out or top out. This is just meandering around with no direction. It's uh, lost. So given that, 
Well, what do you think of the so trade? So the trade's really interesting because we do know that that 250 level is a massive level. is a big double bottom level from 2018. And it looks like it was prior resistance before that. And so it's established a new range. And I think Mike's trade gives you a lot of optionality here. So it could be just a good little trade if the stock were to kind of work its way back down towards 250 to that short expiration strike. But it could also be the sort of thing where it sets up where you end up financing that longer dated 250 put with the shorter, uh, short dated short one. So to me, I really like this trade because, like Carter just said, it's been moving around a lot. There's probably a better chance that it goes back towards 250 right now than it's back up well closer to 350, which has been a level where it's found some resistance lately. So I like Mike's trade here. Yeah. Last word, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think the real issue that we ought to be thinking about is what's going to get the stock to go significantly higher from here? We've seen some weakness. We have a lot of storm clouds brewing. It's going to have to be something pretty miraculous. And, of course, we still have that SEC thing to worry about. I am long puts in the name. I'm not yet in this structure, but I will be adjusting to either this one or something very close to it, depending on where the stock opens on Monday. All right, coming up, General Electric's nightmare has turned into a dream for shareholders this year, and that's good news for one of our traders. We'll explain. Plus, got a burning question for one of the traders. Well, you are in luck because we are taking your tweets later in the show. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more options action still ahead. Welcome back to Options Action. GE's nightmare has turned into a dream for investors as the stock has soared off its 666 bottom. Here's how Dan cashed in on the move. On Options Action, it's how we electrify profits. Risk less so we can make more. And that's exactly what Dan did with his bullish bet on GE. Dan thought the GE nightmare could be coming to an end. The last time this stock was a hat size, it did capitulate down near that $6 level, and it came back really quickly. But buying the stock after it got cut in half could be risky. So to play for a bounce, Dan bought the March 10 strike call for 50 cents. Now to make money, Dan just needs General Electric shares to rise above $10 by more than the cost of the trade or above $10.50 by March expiration. So to cut cost, Dan then sold the March 13 call for 10 cents and created his call spread. Here's how it works. Between the 50 cents he spent on buying the lower strike call and the 10 cents he collected by selling the higher strike call, he reduced the total cost of his trade down to just 40 cents. And now to make money, Dan just needs GE shares to rise above the strike of the call that he bought by more than the reduced cost of the trade. Or in this case, $10.40 by March expiration. But remember, there is a trade-off. And since Dan sold that higher strike call, his profits are capped at $13. And since the time of the trade, GE shares fell to the devilish $6.66 level and then soared more than 50%, meaning this trade looks pretty good. Now Options Actions fans all over the world want to know one thing. What will Dan do now? Okay, so this trade expires in two weeks. Dan, what do you do now? Yeah, so listen, you had that news about divestitures. The stock gapped up. I think it was trading close to 12 in the pre-market that day, but it kind of gave back a lot of those gains very, very quickly. So for whatever is going on, a lot of investors are pretty happy with the gains off the lows last year, but they weren't too excited uh, you know, after kind of digging into the news. I think this is one that you probably see some support at 10 bucks, and I think you probably want to roll this trade out. The company's going to report their Q1 earnings in mid-April, probably a day before 
before April expiration. And maybe you roll whatever gains you have in a trade like this, maybe up until the April 11 calls and play for that earnings event. Mike? Yeah, you know, one thing I would say about this is that the trade actually proved its worth when the stock fell, actually, not the subsequent gain. That's the reason you sometimes put on these options trades rather than going out and buying the stock, because that would have been a bitter pill, I think, to swallow. Well, big week. Obviously, it's all about the gap, the gap that occurred on Monday. And now, if you want to call it a flag, a pennant, it's this quiet, low-volume reaction to the heavy volume up and gap. Excellent entry point. The presumption is lows are in, higher prices ahead. Yeah, so I think 10 looks like a good support level, and there's probably some good resistance at 12, 13. That is why I chose that 13 strike to sell versus the call spread. So to me, maybe it looks like an 11, 13 call spread that you roll in until April. All right, up next, your tweets and the final call. We've got time for one tweet, and our viewer asks, what are your thoughts on GLD, the gold ETF, at 123? Healthy retreat or break in technicals here? I'm in the April 126 calls. What would you do? So, Carter, technicals, what do you say? It was a bad day, obviously, and it was all simultaneous for gold, for TLT bonds, and for yen. But it also is still within the bounds of a normal giveback after the very impressive 15% move off the low. So I would tolerate a little bit more, stay in the trade, or roll out. I would actually just roll your strike down. I, I like being long gold, but I'd just use a lower strike call. All right, time for the final call. Carter, why don't you kick it off for you? Well, uh, Facebook, get long. Mike? You know, I like what Elon's doing, but I think Tesla's got some problems, so I'd use calendar put spreads. Damn. Yeah, Western Digital, as Carter would say, bearish to bullish reversal. I like playing it with call spreads. That does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next Friday at 5.30. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. <laughs>